Thank you. It's an honor for me to be here. I come from Tampa, Florida, and uh, tomorrow a contingent of uh, Divine Mercy devotees from Denver, Colorado, and Tampa will be speaking also at the cathedral. Before I begin these short remarks, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, it was 25 years ago that I, uh, although was a very successful medical physician, I was a gastroenterologist, a specialist in digestive diseases. I had trained in, my last stop was the Cleveland Clinic, and um, I was very successful in the world, but uh, not so in the spiritual sense. Uh, my marriage was falling apart, and uh, in 1991, things kind of came to a head and a, and a boiling point, and uh, I hit uh, a personal bottom. And it was at that time that a friend gave me the writings of St. Faustina, the diary of St. Faustina. And as I began to read them, I just kind of fell in love with the message of divine mercy. And I want to share some thoughts with you today from that diary. But um, I told the Lord if he could help me get out of that mess, that I'd go anywhere to speak on divine mercy. And uh, it's an honor to be here today in Sturgis. And uh, this is my first time in South Dakota. But I have traveled to Africa, uh, South and Central America, and Canada, and Europe, and, and all over. Uh, it's been a tremendous, joy-filled ride. I want to share a couple thoughts on this image that we see up behind me. You know, we live in troubled times, and uh, we find ourselves anxious and discouraged and fearful. And the Lord told Faustina that the Elements of anxiety and discouragement are the greatest obstacles to holiness. It's through our anxiety and discouragement that we lose track of things and take our eyes off the Lord and take our eyes off the day. And he came to Faustina, kind of something like he came to the apostles in the upper room after the resurrection. Imagine how scared they were. They didn't know what was going on. Where was Jesus? They were afraid. And Jesus comes walking through the closed door and his hands were raised as if in a blessing and remember what he told the apostles he said peace be with you that's the same peace that he wants to give you today that peace in your heart that will get you through all the difficult times and trials and sufferings of life he was wearing a long white robe as you see and that's the robe of the high priest it was only the high priest that can enter the Jewish temple and enter the Holy of Holies and get the blessing from God for all the people. Jesus is the high priest. Remember at the Passover, they ate the unblemished lamb. That was the Paschal meal. Well, Jesus is our Paschal meal. He's the unblemished lamb. So in this image, we have the high priest, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Holy Eucharist. But we also see Jesus came with his hands and feet and side bore the marks of the crucifixion. Good Friday. As you know, it was the centurion that pierced Jesus' side from which it's, scripture says blood and water gushed forth. It was Longinus, the centurion, that pierced Jesus' side. Longinus was from Lanciano, Italy. And scripture tells us after he pierced Jesus' side, he realized that this truly was the Son of God. And Longinus actually went all throughout Europe 
and converted millions to Christianity. And there's this giant statue of Longinus in St. Peter's Square. Longinus was from the town of Lanciano, which means the lance. Lanciano is the site of the most famous Eucharistic miracle where in the 700s, a monk was doubting the real presence of Jesus and held the host up at the consecration and it began to turn to human flesh. And the consecrated wine began to turn to human blood. That miracle is still intact today. I saw it about 20 years ago. In the 1970s, they took a piece of that host and of the blood and they looked at it under the microscope and they saw that the tissue was human tissue. There were no preservatives. There were no additives. There were no signs of rigor mortis. It was, it was as if the tissue was still alive. Science could not understand it. But the amazing thing was, it was that it was human heart tissue. And that's really the message of divine mercy. God is love. It's a message of love. And these rays of blood and water that came from his pierced heart that are radiating out to you now, you have to radiate them out to others. But when Jesus also came, he was the risen Lord. He was evanescent. He walked through the room. He was alive. So we have in this divine mercy image, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter morning all wrapped up in a single image. He told Faustina that the red rays symbolize the blood, which is the life of souls. Well, blood carries oxygen, which keeps us going. In the spiritual sense, that's the Eucharist. Most Catholics don't understand the real presence. The most prominent Christian religion in the world is Catholicism. The second most prominent group of Christians are fallen away Catholics. If we only understood, but they didn't understand it back then either. If you go to John 6, now imagine if Jesus lived in Sturgis. And imagine you heard him speak, you saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. Imagine if you saw him, the blind could see, the deaf could hear, the mute could speak. You heard him give his parables. And yet when he started talking about eat my body, drink my blood, Scripture says many found it hard to believe. They murmured. And then farther down in 6, it says they left never to return. In the Mass, the host is converted to the body and blood of Jesus, the wine to the blood, and he is alive. Many miracles, just like Lanciano, the miracle happens at every Mass, but because of our lack of understanding, Jesus has given us miracles to tell us that he is present in the Eucharist. In 1996, a lady after Mass went up and told the priest there was a consecrated host on the back of the church on the dirty floor. He went back and sure enough, there it was and he didn't want to consume it. So he picked it up and he put it in a chalice with some water thinking it would disintegrate. 
He came back on Monday and in the bowl, the host was still there, but it, it actually looked like it had congealed. It was more firm and there was red in it. So he said, well, I'll just watch it. So a week went by, he looked at it again, there was more red. A few weeks, now it looked like tissue was forming and it looked like definite blood. So he told the bishop, who said we have to tell the cardinal, the cardinal was Jorge Bergoglio, who said we needed investigated. There was a well-known scientist in Bolivia, Dr. Castanon Gomez, who was called in. Dr. Gomez had impeccable credentials. He had studied under a, a Nobel laureate. He was very respected. But the interesting thing with Dr. Gomez was that he was an avowed atheist. So he couldn't wait to get his hands on this study to show that science dispelled the truth and myths of faith. So he sent the tissue off to New York and they looked at it and they studied it. He didn't tell them what the tissue was, but they called him back a few weeks later and they said, Dr. Gomez, we have a couple questions for you regarding this sample that you sent to us. First of all, you didn't give us any history on this patient, but it looks as if the person from which this biopsy was taken, the person was alive when the biopsy was taken. And secondly, wherever you got this specimen from, that person had to have suffered great trauma. Now, Dr. Gomez was astounded and he said, well, what kind of tissue is it? He says, it's human heart tissue. I've met Dr. Gomez. Very, very holy man. This avowed atheist has since converted to Catholicism. Given up his life as a consecrated layman. The scales fell from his eyes. In the early church, the Eucharist was called the great secret. But it's a secret that's not supposed to be a secret. When you get home this afternoon or this evening, go, go Google Eucharistic Miracle Buenos Aires. You'll see Dr. Gomez. So he said the red rays are the blood which nourishes us. The pale rays washes us. Represents reconciliation and baptism. Jesus told Faustina in the confessional or where the greatest miracles take place. You don't have to go on a pilgrimage to Italy or Spain or France. The miracle takes place in the confessional. But you have to believe in my mercy. We come out and we say, well, I don't really feel any different or how could God forgive me for that? Many of us carry the guilt and shame after we leave the confessional. And we say, I should have done this, I would have done this, I could have done this. There was a nun actually in Faustina's convent. She had lived a rough life before she entered the convent and she could not believe that the Lord had forgiven her. She had been to many confessors and she still doubted. So one evening she asked Faustina, when you see the Lord tonight, will you ask him if he's really, really forgiven me? Which she did. And Faustina wrote in her diary, that when she asked the Lord, the Lord said the following. 
You tell sister that her lack of trust in my mercy wounds my heart much more than the sins she ever committed. You see, we get hung up on the sin. We beat ourselves up on the sin. God could never forgive me for that. But he throws it into his ocean of mercy, which is unfathomably deep. It's mercy that we'll never be able to understand it, but we just have to accept it. But you see, if you look at the cross, you see the vertical beam. That's our relationship with God. God is always ready to forgive us. Thank God I've never heard a priest when I go into the confessional tell me, Brian, that's the 3,000th time you've said that. I'm not forgiving you this time. The Lord said, I do not allot a certain number of pardons. We must keep coming back. We're like the saints that fell down, but we get up. That's the journey of life. But just as He's always ready to forgive us, we have to forgive each other. And that's the horizontal beam on the cross. Years ago, my sister was uh, fighting with my other sister. And they weren't speaking. My sister, the one who really was the cause of it, was telling me at the same time how much joy and pleasure and spiritual growth she was getting out of going to Eucharistic adoration. But she wasn't speaking to my sister out of anger. And the scripture verse comes to mind, how can you love the God you cannot see if you can't love the brother or sister you can? We pray the rosary. We're going to pray the chaplet. We say to our Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then we don't forgive. Six months ago or so, I was in Canada doing a parish mission. And the one night was on forgiveness. And the next night, a gentleman came up to me and he said, I'm so happy, I have to tell you this story. After last night, I called my cousin. We haven't spoken for 34 years. My parents and her parents fought. And after they died, we just continued. She called the cousin and the cousin was crying on the phone. She was so happy to hear his voice. And they were soon to get together, try and make amends. Somebody has to take the first step. And if you look at that image, you see Jesus' one leg is bent. He's walking towards us. That's how we have to be. We have to take the first step at reconciliation. Don't go to bed tonight if you're angry with your children. Children, don't go to bed tonight without telling your parents you love them because nobody promises tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed that Monday when I fly back to Tampa that that plane's going to land. Each day is a gift from God. We have to use it wisely. And watch your tongue. The tongue is such a small organ but can do such great damage. 
Once you spurt something out, whether it be gossip or whatever, you can't take it back. I remember the story the lady went in the confessional and told the priest about how she had gossiped gossiped about all these people. He absolved her, but he said, for your penance, I want you to stand on the roof of your house tonight and take your feather pillow and cut it open and let all the feathers go and then try and pick them up. That's how difficult it is to take back. Use your tongue wisely to build up people. To build up the kingdom. People right now in America are lost. Many have lost hope. Many have turned away from God. They don't know where to go. And we have to be the light of the world. We have to be joy-filled. We have to carry this message of love to a hurting world. This message of divine mercy is a Eucharistic message. It's a sacramental message. You know, Faustina wasn't the sharpest nun in her convent. She wasn't what one would say was the sharpest pencil in the box. She only had two winters of education. She could barely read or write. And yet, when you read her diary, you see such a close union with God. And she's being considered for a doctor of the church. Her whole mission was God and souls, and that has to be ours. But she also had a deep love for the dying. She would be awakened in the middle of the night by people she didn't even know, but often by her nuns in her different convents. One episode in her diary, she was awakened in the middle of the night and there was a dying nun a hundred kilometers away who said, Sister, pray for me. So she went up, went to the chapel and prayed until she heard the sisters say, oh, thank you. And the next morning she got up and all the nuns were in the kitchen talking about how Sister so-and-so had died the night before. On another occasion, the Lord said, come to my bedside to meet this dying man. Well, when she got there, there were demons around his bedside. The man was very restless, very anxious. As she began to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet, Jesus appeared just as He is in the image. And the demons fled and the man died a peaceful death. And the Lord told her, if you prayed this chaplet at the bedside of a dying person, that He would be there as this merciful Savior and not as a just judge. In 1999, we asked Pope John Paul, do you have to be at the bedside? And he said, no. With God in the eternal now, there's, everything's present. So he wanted us to tell everybody we could, any church that had any adoration, just like right now, for people to pray a chaplet and to include in their intentions for the sick and dying in that hour and trust in his promise that he would be there as the merciful Savior. I don't know about you, but when I die, I'm going to be asking for a Lord, a God of mercy and not a God of justice. We don't oftentimes like to think about our own death. We push it, push it away. Time goes by so fast. 
I, I, I can't believe I'm as old as I am. It was about nine years ago, my uh, father, we brought him down to Florida after surgery. And that first night he was in the house and in the middle of the night I heard this clang, clang, clang. And I got up and I saw my dad with a walker. That was the first time I've ever seen my dad as a walker. And it really struck me. Wow, he's an old man. Where did all the time go? In our fast-paced society in America today, we tend to slough off the elderly and the dying. It's a great ministry to be present to the dying, to be present to the sick. It's a work of mercy. This year of mercy is coming to an end, but in many ways it's only beginning. We have to get out of ourselves. We must do works of mercy. But we have to do them out of love of God. We're not just social workers. We're Catholics. And we got Jesus and the Blessed Mother and the real presence guiding the way. Back in Faustina's time, right before World War II, it was very poor. The nuns had trouble getting enough food, but Faustina would let in the poor. And on one occasion at the gate, there was a beggar. He was in tattered clothing. It was winter, and she let the guy in, gave him a potato and some broth. And after he had eaten it, the man disappeared, and Jesus was standing there next to her. And he told her, I have come down from heaven to taste the fruits of your mercy. That's what we have to be. We have to be the feet and the heart and the hands of Jesus to a hurting world. But we must do these works out of work, out of love of God. And we will suffer. He told Faustina, suffering is a sign that I'm always with you. We will have suffering on earth, but we have to trust in the Lord. That's why he wanted below the image, Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, it's easy to trust when everything's going well. It's easy to trust when the bills are paid, the kids are healthy, the wife's health is good. But what happens when we get that abnormal mammogram? What happens when we have chest pain or lab work indicates cancer? Right away we tell the Lord, okay, you messed up. I got to take over. I'm in charge. I got to trust in myself. It's not so much the results, but it's that we have to trust along our journey. The hallmark to living the message is Jesus, I trust in you. And when we recite this chaplet today, just remember, it's a Eucharistic prayer. That's where the power comes from, the Eucharist. As Catholics, we believe in the real presence. Jesus is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity. We're offering God the Father, our Lord Himself. And we can do it because we're all priests in the line of Melchizedek.
So today, I would ask you to try to go to confession if you haven't. Ask our Lord, He's right here, hidden in the form of the bread, to give you a deeper trust in Him. Pour your heart out to Him because He's present. And we are His messengers out to a broken world right now. The world is in need of mercy. The answer to the world's problems are in the diary when the Lord told Faustina, mankind will not have peace until it turns with trust to my mercy. That's the answer. Thank you very much.